In the following live session recording, Marty Youngblood, state missionary with Church Minister Relations and the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talks about Conflict Coaching 101. Conflict coaching is defined as a set of skills and strategies used to support people's ability to engage in, manage, and productively resolve conflict. In this process, the conflict coach works one-on-one with a coachee experiencing conflict with another person. In this session, we will discuss the skills needed to be a successful conflict coach. Let's join Marty now. Well, I am. I'm Marty Youngblood. I'm one of your state missionaries. I serve in church ministry relations. Now, I've actually been with Georgia Baptist uh, 23 years. Uh, Before that, I was a campus minister uh, in the Savannah area. Uh, And then before that, I was a church planner and pastor. And so, can't hold a steady job with the family. But but, uh, the last 10 years, really, I've worked with Georgia Baptist in the area of pastoral care, um, prayer and spiritual renewal, and conflict mediation. And so... Uh, so what I'm going to be sharing today is called Conflict Coaching. And what I've given you guys is a handout. My apologies, because I'm in Savannah and I called my secretary, hey, do these handouts? I said, you know, the one with the lines? Well, one's got three lines, bigger print, and one has six lines, tiny print. So uh, that was my bad. I didn't make that clear, so it's hard to read. But that's the outline you're going to see up here. So you can just make notes so you don't have to take the outline down. And then the pamphlet I've given you is called Peacemaking Principles. Uh, and this is a great little pamphlet to use yourself, uh, to work through it yourself. It's always a great start when it comes to being a conflict mediator or coach. Uh, and it's also great to be able to hand people who are going through conflict. Uh, um, and so it's a great tool. We use this a lot. So what we're going to do today is just kind of, I'm going to take you through a PowerPoint. Uh, but I, I do want to, you know, take some questions. Uh, you know, if there's, there's something you guys want to talk about. Now, and, and I'll, I'll give some time at the end. Try to, but if you guys want to discuss some issue within your church or, <coughs> or things like that, I'd be glad to just kind of spend a little time with you there. Uh, but thank you for coming to go to Georgia. Uh, we think this is a great thing uh, to give you guys as churches an opportunity to hear wonderful speakers, people a lot better than me. Because as, as I told her, I'm going to be honest, I'm just average. we got some really good guys here. so But hopefully I can give you some good information and some good interaction so that you guys can at least feel a little more confident when it comes to conflict, uh, either working through conflict in your own life or working through conflict in the lives of others around you. Uh, because we're going to run into conflict every day of our life, somewhere, somehow. Uh, the drive through line, the red light, grocery store, uh, at home. Um, and so just, just knowing some principles that are biblical, uh, and Christ-centered can really be helpful. So uh, I'm going to say a prayer. Any special prayer needs? Just, I mean, something come up today that we really need to pray for you or your family, your church, or anything? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and grace and goodness. Thank you for these who've come tonight. And just pray that you would speak to me and through me by your Word and Holy Spirit. And God, just thank you that, uh, Lord, uh, we can overcome these things because you're an overcoming God. And you can certainly overcome any conflict within our life or the life of those around us through the gospel. And so, Lord, Lord just teach us that again tonight, fresh in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, normally I start this thing with conflict very early on because I'm from South Carolina. Go Tigers. That's Clemson Tigers, not Auburn Tigers. But anyway, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. See what I'm saying? It just starts all the way. But, but, but anyway, but, but us and the Bama folks, actually, I think we're getting along better now. But... Um, but the one thing I want to tell people, when it comes to conflict, the gospel is the foundation when we talk about anything in our lives. The gospel saves us, 
the gospel maintains us and the gospel matures us. And it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the power of God, the salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek. I grew up in the upstate of South Carolina. I'm a hillbilly. You know the difference between a hillbilly and a redneck? Geography. That's right, geography, elevation, that's it. We're both, uh, both what we are. But I tell people, I grew up unchurched, became a Christian when I was 20. My brother, who I grew up with, who's older but a little smaller than me, hard to believe. Uh, but uh, anyway, we grew up hating, I mean, not just disliking, hating one another. One just had a horrible childhood together. and just so, so when I became a Christian and I found out that I had to love and forgive people, my enemies, I, that was one of the hardest things. You know, stopping drinking and cussing and fooling around, all that was just like, okay, you know. But, but, but to forgive someone who you've hated really all your, your young life, it was really hard. But when I began to learn what the gospel did for me, I knew I had to allow that gospel to work in and through me to him and our relationship. Now, that didn't happen overnight. It took years and years. But now we are brothers. We love each other. He came to faith in Christ about 10 years ago, and that, that was helpful. That helped me things out immensely. But I had already come to a place of forgiveness and reconciliation with him. And he, to be honest, was the greatest conflict of my life here on earth of anyone was him. And so I, I, I say personally, not only can the gospel save us, but the gospel can help us overcome any conflict, any situation in our life, any time. I mean, it takes time. And so we just need to know that the gospel is the foundation. Because, see, we were in conflict with God, mm-hmm. because we were sinners, lost and separated. We were in the greatest conflict of our life, and the gospel again brought that separation together through Christ. And so again, it's just something we need to know when it comes to conflict. A couple of things. Conflict coaching is giving counsel. Now, are we any counselors in here? Any licensed clinical biblical counselors? When you're talking about conflict coaching, you're giving counsel to people through difficult situations. So it is a form of counseling, but it's not official counseling. Uh, conflict coaching is a subset of biblical counseling. Now, biblical counseling is not just what we think about counseling in the professional realm, uh, but biblical counseling is giving advice, encouragement, direction to people through the Scriptures, by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're more familiar with as believers and as Christians and comfortable doing, really, to people uh, in that, that aspect. But conflict coaching is not professional counseling. And that's the one thing we need to understand. Uh, you're going to realize that sometimes... People think that in settling a conflict is kind of resolving all their deep personal problems. But that's not always the case. Uh, you may be able to settle the conflict, but not settle anything in their lives personally. Mm-hmm. You know? And just settling things in their life personally doesn't always settle the conflict. Some of the greatest conflict that I've come across in Georgia Baptist life and churches have been among people who are well, uh, you know, the, the, these, are, these are educated, uh, you know, great folks but they are in steep conflict over issues. And so, because uh, there's different types of conflicts driven by different things. Now, I'm an old guy. I'm 58. So anybody remember Bob Newhart? Remember him a little mm-hmm. bit? Right, I got a clip because you're going to see here that even in counseling, conflict can break out sometimes. Let's see if this thing will work for me. And so uh, technology sometimes will and sometimes will not. So, uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, that's me. Should I lay down? Oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And, uh, 
let, let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes. And, and then absolutely nothing after that. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can, I can almost guarantee you that, that our session won't last the full, uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in, in cash or by check. Wow, okay. And, uh, and I, I don't make change. <laughs> or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic? Uh, yes, yes, that's it. All right, well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Shall I uh, write them down? Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, <laughs> can remember them. Okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it! So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, 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 you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds frank. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just... Just stop. <laughs> so I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Well, it's only been five minutes. It's only been three minutes, so that will be uh, uh, three dollars. <laughs> I only have a five, so. Well, I, I don't. I don't make change. <laughs> but I, I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. <laughs> All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you would you like to address? <clears throat> Whew, uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it! Not <laughs> some kind. Don't, don't do that. But I'm I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me. No, Zach. no, no, no. No, we did. We don't go there. But that happens. <laughs> no, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. <laughs> Just stop it! 
with self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it! <laughs> you, you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, then stop it. <laughs> don't be such a big baby. <laughs> I wash my hands a lot. Sorry. Yes? I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs on there. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! How are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you, you kook! Stop it! Stop it! You stop it! What's, what's the problem, Kathy? conflict coaching really everything conflict coaching a big part of getting conflict to settle down is first to try to get the emotions of conflict off the table it's also realizing you can't push too hard too fast when you're working in conflict conflict takes time and prayer and scripture and time and prayer and scripture and time and prayer I mean there are a lot of things and this is just a good example uh, with Bob forcing his way into the life of this young girl through his counseling techniques that were really horrendous. But in the same way, we think that sometimes if we've got the answer, we can just shoot them across the desk to someone and they're going to immediately embrace those and go forward and, re and release that conflict. But you've got to work a lot of things. The reason is because you're dealing with people in different levels. The iceberg principle is a good one here, talking about uh, our feelings, our, 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 what we feel inside, our needs and things. There's level one, level two, level three. Level one is the surface of the iceberg. Now, most people, when you get into a situation, they tell you about the conflict, they're going to tell you level one. They're going to tell you what caused the conflict. Deacon so-and-so caused this conflict. And they're not going to tell you their role, their part, or anything, or the preacher so-and-so caused this conflict, or sister so-and-so caused this conflict. My wife. Whatever it is, they're going to point to something on the surface and say, this is what caused the conflict. No, really, that's just the symptoms of conflict. It's really not what caused the conflict. It might have been the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, we say, mm. but there's something at a different level that really caused the conflict. The next level is what we call unexpressed needs. The first one is what we're willing to point to and express. The unexpressed needs are the things down inside of us that really caused us to go get into conflict. In other words, something inside of us was unsettled. Something that we knew that uh, aggravates us, upsets us. Now our son, who just came out of the military, uh, he's working through battle injuries, just had surgery on his knee, PTSD. Uh, he went to college for a year. He went in the military at 19, made Ranger, Special Forces at 20, um, 11 in countries in three and a half years. Um, all kinds of stuff went on in his life. And so it's really amazing. So whenever we're talking, it's like there's, I'm talking here, and we know there's something there. 
But then below that, we know there's things that are down here that we don't even know. You know, there are things in me uh, that I'm really not aware of myself. You know, all of us carry stuff down inside of us that we're really not aware of ourselves. We've carried it so long or it's been pressed so far down or whatever. And then sometimes things we just haven't discovered. Uh, I remember when I went to seminary and I took one of my first uh, classes on counseling and different things like that, it was interesting because the, the first thing he wanted us to do was to kind of write a history of our life. You know, of the highs and lows, the history of our life. And it was interesting in writing the highs and lows, the history of our life, I came across places where I wasn't sure, you know, what happened in that. I thought, that's really funny. There's like blocks in my life that I'm really not sure what was going on. There were gaps. And he said, all of us have gaps in the history of our life. And those are usually difficult times as a child or a teen or young adult or, or adult. And, and that's where we just press things way down. The good news is that God is able to take the Holy Spirit scriptures and give all the way down to the deepest part of us to unpack those at the right time, the right way, those things. So whenever you're dealing with people in conflict, realize people always say this is what caused the conflict. And, and it's usually maybe a trigger, but it's not the real cause. The real cause falls somewhere under level two or level three. Now, that level two is right kind of where we are. Level three is really the heart of the issue. And at the same time, that's where we have to be careful that we don't try to go all from being a conflict coach to a counselor. Mm -hmm. Because remember, we're not trained or licensed counselors, <coughs> biblical counselors per se. And so, and also, it's at a, this point I always tell people, if you're working with someone in conflict and you discover there's a real deep-seated issue that begins to surface, it's really time to kind of, you know, look around for a referral, to find someone to help them work through that issue while you're working through the conflict issues. Uh, you know, because sometimes some of the heaviest conflict that we've discovered some of the most hurting people. And people who have hurt the church for year after year after year only to find out there was some real deep hurt in their life that had never been resolved. It really had very little to do with the church or the conflict. It's just what came out. So that's some things to think about as a, as a conflict coach. Um, we talk about being a conflict coach, someone who's going to help either yourself or others work through conflict. Uh, we talk about three ways to kind of develop skills and also to develop trust in people you're working with. Building passport, data gathering, and communication skills. It says the ultimate goal of building passport, data gathering, and using good communication skills is to help the party identify his or her own heart issues. It's always about an issue of a heart. I mean, uh, when, when someone pulls out in front of me at the, at, at, the, at the intersection and I get frustrated or angry, you know, and I wave to them in Jesus' name, you know, uh, you know, it's usually because there's something in me that caused that. Not, you know, it may not have been anything near an accident, but it may be that I was running late. Because I was already running late, I was already frustrated, angry, upset, you know what I'm saying? All these different things. So there's always a heart issue, like I say. It's rarely the thing on the surface. It's somewhere in the middle or even below uh, with that. And usually biblical principles and conflict can be addressed at the root. You want to kind of get down there. Talking about a passport, anybody been on a... Out of, out of the United States before, over to Alabama. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, hey, you know when you go to Alabama, you know what happens? You go back an hour, mm -hmm. you set your watch back an hour, mm -hmm. and you set your calendar back 25 years. But anyway, so... No, just kidding. I'm on Alabama people. They'll probably whip us bad this year. But, um, but pass, it, it always. Passport is earned when conflict coach or mediator behaves in such ways. Here, whenever you're dealing with someone, you're trying to help them work through conflict, whatever role you're playing in that. Uh, whenever you're trying to help somebody work through conflict, you first want to learn and see this person needs to be able to say, I can trust you. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Here's the key. I tell people, when it comes to conflict coaching, it's not whosoever will. Mm. You know, when it comes to being a pastor, it's not whosoever will. When it comes to being a missionary, it's really not. You know, in other words, there are roles in the church and roles in ministry that God has a particular calling. doesn't mean that we're better than anyone, more loved than God than anyone. It just means there, there's roles and skills. Conflict coaching is one of these things where we have to have a sense of calling and skills. And come with that comes a, a measure of trust. It means you've got to be a person of integrity. If you're not a person of integrity and trustworthiness, uh, and you step in trying to settle conflict, that, that eats you up. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be a perfect saint. None of us are. But it does mean that people need to be able to look at you and say, I trust this person. I know them to be a person who seeks to live a life of integrity. Also, the people who you're going to work with need to be able to look at you and say, do you care about me? They need to be able to say yes to all three of these. This is a person who has real compassion. Uh, and I tell people, it's funny, I can begin a conversation. Now, in the South, we're very conversationalists. I just came from South Dakota. They were a little conversations, but not as much as we are in the South. But it was funny, either it was either topic or trust. Either you're on the same topic and you could talk about some things, or you had enough conversation where they could feel like they could trust you and they'd begin a conversation. So do you really care about me? And then can you really help me? That's a key. If you're just somebody who likes to talk, but really never carries out anything, not many people really want to talk with you or engage you when it comes to helping us in your conflict. They're thinking, hey, this person... Man, you know, they were involved with this ministry or this thing with the church or that or that. I mean, they, that, that went great. You know, in other words, they had success. So, you know, here are the things you're hoping they'll answer yes to. Can I trust you? Yes. You know, do you care about me? Yes. Can you really help me? Yes. You know, and so those are the things where if you really want, that gives you a passport, entrance into their life and situation. Um, another thing, passport is earned by these things. Uh, and on your sheet, you've got these demonstrating skill and competency. Uh, providing a good first impression, uh, listening carefully and patiently, providing appropriate meeting environments, demonstrating spiritual maturity, humility. Uh, now, a good example, I came out of the campus ministry world, 20 years as a campus minister in all kinds of campuses. Savannah College of Art Design, crazy wild campus. Armstrong State, good old boy campus. Savannah State, primarily African American student population. Just a lot of diversity of campuses that I had. And so, it, you know, coming from that background, when I came to the building and I began to work with Robert Anderson, the kind of the, 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 the premier pastoral care guy in the state, Robert's a very prayerful, serious minded reverend. You know, and we were together and I cracked some joke, you know, and he looked at me like, what? And I cracked another joke. He's like, what? He said, oh, you're a jokester. Oh, yes. You know, I mean, oh, I'm humiliated. I mean, but, but it was so funny. So after a couple of weeks, he said, I think you need to leave some of that humor behind. And I got what he was saying. Listen, you were in an environment where humor, joking, kidding, criticism, sarcasm, that's what college students do. And so, but where we are, you don't need that. In fact, this is what you need. And so in the same way, you need to be able to demonstrate spiritual maturity, humility. In other words, you need to be able to, to demonstrate things like that that are, that are, that are you know, what people trust and see, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, showing genuine sensitivity, compassion, willingness to address tough and unpleasant issues. Now here's the two things that a lot of people realize. You've got sensitivity and compassion and willingness to address tough and unpleasant issues. How many people in here have the gift of compassion? You're just a compassionate person. I can see it all over this room. Sitting in front, I'll just tell. Just, you just look at people, they're just compassionate. I mean, you can just walk up and pour hot coffee on them. Oh, it's okay, brother. I got another shirt. You know, would you take me to the hospital? No. <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's like, 
you know, and then you got these folks who are willing to address tough issues. These are the prophets. We got any prophets in the house? Uh, these are the ones who, man, they don't mind charging right in there. Uh, and I tell people, this is, these are the two things you need to see balance. You need to be a person of compassion, but you've got to be a person of toughness too when it comes to conflict mediation. You're going to have to share things sometimes biblically with people that are going to be hard to hear and even hard to say sometimes, but it's what needs to be said. But if it's said with a heart of compassion, think about Jesus, how He said things to people and how hard it was, but they were here because they knew how much He loved them. <laughs> and those kinds of things. And so those things, be firm and decisive uh, when leading the process. Always be willing to admit your own mistakes. Sometimes, even we who had a lot of training and skill set in conflict mediation, I, I do all of it. Coaching, mediation, arbitration. Arbitration gets the legal side of it. Stay away from that at all possible. You need me to get you some water, ma'am? Are you okay? Okay. No, you're, you're okay. You're not, you're, not, you're not distracting me. I just want to make sure you're okay. The, um, 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 but, but when it comes to those things, it's one of those things where you want to make sure that if you do a misstep. So I was doing a, a, a conflict mediation between a pastor and elder group at a church. And, uh, and, and, and for whatever reason, the elder just suddenly turned all of his frustrations that had been vented towards the pastor on me all of a sudden. Because suddenly I think he realized this thing is not going his way. You know? And I wasn't there to, you know, point the finger. Just what the Scripture was saying. What I was giving out. And man, he led into me. And I don't know if the hillbilly rose up in me or I didn't have my mouth for the day. I don't know what it was, man. I flipped back to an Old Testament Scripture and I started talking to this thing, man. I laid it out. And the, you know, and, and, and the festival. You know, and so anyway... I didn't get in the flesh. It just got stronger than I needed to. And when I got stronger, you know what happened? He got stronger. So that's what happened. Emotion raises emotion. And to lessen emotion, lessens emotion. So you only want to be as firm as you. And I got overly firm with this guy. You know, and so uh, it was just one of those things. So I said, you know what? I think the best thing for us to do is to take a break. Let's all just take a break. Let's go pray and come back. So we went and prayed and come back. And I apologized to that guy. I said, brother, I'm sorry. I said, uh, that needed to be said, but it didn't say it the way it needed to be said. I, I, I said that too, too firm, too strong, and I, I really am sorry about that. You know, he said, well, I got to think about that. And what I heard in my prayer time was, that's what I need to hear. I just didn't like how you said it to me. Mm-hmm. And so we had that moment of honesty. Of, and so again, when it comes to conflict coaching, sometimes we as the coach or the mediator will step into a place where we, we push too hard, too firm, too much. Uh, and then sometimes if we're not well prepared spiritually, we'll get in the flesh. Because you're going to get that. It's going to turn on you at some point in that conversation usually. So just, you know, again, be willing to admit your mistake and, and realize that. Data gathering, again, so, so first you're learning to, to, to develop a passport that allows you into their life and conversation and conflict. The next thing is you want to then get information from them. So once you've been given permission to come on and, you know, into the house, uh, kind of off the porch as we would say, come on in the house. Now you're going to sit down and you're going to listen to information. Most data gathering occurs during storytelling. Storytelling may not be uh, impartial or even factual, okay? However, it's imperative that you understand the person's story as they see it. You know the old saying, perception is reality? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm here to tell you that some people's perception is the twilight zone. <laughs> so, because I know video evidence you know, on something, or I know absolute truth on something, and then they'll tell you an absolute farce or lie on the very thing you know to be 100% true. But they believe. But they believe it's true. And that's what happened. And that's where you have to allow them to tell that story. 
You know, and that's hard for some of us, especially if we're ministers of the gospel, because we're so accustomed to, if we hear something that's an untruth, to immediately step up. And so as a conflict mediator coach, you have to kind of listen a little longer into that process. And I think about when Jesus, when the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they would start blasting Him, sometimes He would kind of, instead of just jumping right back into conversation, He'd let them kind of trip themselves up. And what you'll find out is when people are telling a story and giving you information, they will. They'll do that very thing. Uh, because it's not factual. It's not truthful. You know? And so it can be helpful with that. So, but you've got to gather the information uh, with that. You want to ask both open-ended, closed questions. That's like you know, if, if uh, we're talking to someone saying, now, brother, tell me, um, when did this all begin? And just let them, that's an open-ended question. Or I may say, hey, brother, now, when did this happen in the deacon's meeting? It was January and, okay, you know, in other words, you close it down, narrow it down to get the information. Test your conclusions. Don't commit a suicide. A suicide is when you assume you've got enough information to make the decision of who's right, who's wrong. You know, let's pray and get, you know, let's pray and get home, watch Monday Night Football. The, uh, you know, I mean, it's, because a lot of times what will happen is you think you've got enough information, but you're only getting it from one source. You talk about being compelled to answer. Yes. So I know we, if you if you ask open-ended questions, if you pause long enough after they stop talking the first time, usually they feel compelled to keep talking. That's right. That's they right. may have an answer in their heart or in their mind. If their mind may be saying, "This is what you want to say to this question," and then they stop. If you pause long enough, sometimes their heart will start to spill out. Yeah. And that's where, that's why, it's not like a Bob Newhart. It's not five minutes, no. that's all you got. No. You go into this thing, and, and it's, you know, it's always funny. Brian and I ride together now. There's, there's Dr. Merritt, myself, and Brian Alexander in our office, and now we're, we're all regionalizing. And so uh, we call Dr. Merritt the doc, the prof, professor. He's very articulate and, and direct. He's logical and all this stuff. And I'm the negotiator. Throw me in the middle of it, we'll somehow come out of this thing alive. We'll work it out eventually. Brian, we call the hammer. <laughs> Brian will, you know, but it's funny, uh, but, but all of us, it's the same way. All of us have different sides and personalities and gifts and skill sets, and so we all will process things differently. But the main thing is we've got to make sure that we listen to enough data, gather enough data, and then allowing people to talk. Uh, for me, I can let people talk all day long. Brian's not going to let you talk all day long. But you know what's funny? Brian's very discerning. So he's got a high gift of discernment. So he doesn't need to hear you. He doesn't need to talk very, very long. He can, I mean, it's just like he just got right to it and know what, what's going on. I've got to hear a lot of data. Yeah. You know? And so everybody's a little different. But that's a great comment, brother, because you won't let them share. Now, you want to kind of keep, um, keep control of that conversation. Uh, keep them on track, on focus, even though they're sharing openly. You don't want them to start chasing rabbits or naming names of people who aren't even involved in you know, the church, you know. Well, I got to know. Yeah, so anyway, so it, it, but good comment. Communication skills. A critical element of effective communication is ability to listen carefully. So then my brother, for good scripture here, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Listening is vital. Uh, and learning listening skills. And that's something you can learn just by, you, there's some good books out there. And there's some good things out there. You know one of the best ways to learn good listening skills is to look around your church and congregation and see who's a good listener. What sister, what brother? What Sunday school teacher, what deacon, elder, pastor, staff member, whoever it is, somebody in the choir, who you see them when they're in a conversation, maybe they're all in. They're just all in. Just go and watch them and see how they listen, how people just pour their hearts out. Because when people think you're really listening, 
expected of what I said earlier, they think you really care. Mm -hmm. And so it's key. And so, um, and so I used to say, just ask your spouse if you're a good listener. Don't do that. Because <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what the answer is going to be on that one already. Uh, well, I'm not that good. good. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. What's that? That might not be good. Yeah, no, because so you know, because it, it's often funny. It's it's like we do the same way. Uh, uh, sometimes the, the people we love the most and around the most are the people that we don't do the best in relationship with. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. uh, it's just because we take for granted. We know it's there. They're going to always be there. It's, uh, there's a lot of things that we don't make the effort. Uh, it's when we're engaging strangers or people in position that we make so much effort. But that's where. So when you come to a, a time where you're going to work with a, with someone uh, in over an issue, you want to just zero in and listen. And that means no distractions and keeping your focus and those kinds of things. And, and that's where you need to ask yourself a hard question. Am I a good listener? Do I have a listening skill at, the, at, the, at a high enough level that I'm really capable of helping this? Because not everyone's cut out for this. Everyone can help. They really can. Um, it's just like some people have the gift of evangelism. I don't really have the gift of evangelism, but I love sharing the gospel. And I'm sharing the gospel all the time. We just got back from Sturgis. We had 120 volunteers. We shared the gospel with 200, I mean 2,000, almost 2,500 bikers. We had 225 bikers pray to receive Christ in seven days. And so a lot of people praying for us. But, but again, I'm not an evangelist, but it's just sharing the story in a compassionate way and in a truthful way. But I tell you, in the same way, some people, all of us can be peacemakers, Okay. Not all of us are going to be conflict coaches and conflict mediators, but we can all be peacemakers. It's where it kind of starts. Um, and we're, we're just about through this, and we'll hit some stuff and have some good dialogue here. Um, things that keep us from being good listeners, rehearsers. Now, the rehearsers are the ones who, as they're listening to the story, you're already thinking about what your response is going to be. You know? you know, and, and, it's, and that's where my wife gets me a lot. She's like, you already know what you're going to say, don't you? I'm like, I'll finish the story. You know, I'm like, no, 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 I'm trying to, you know. It's a, you know, I, I flinched, I'm sorry. <laughs> I took a breath, I'm sorry. No, the, uh, but 31 years, that's good. But, uh, but anyway, so the rehearsers are those who do, the mind readers are the ones who think they know the story where it's going. So you, you start moving down a path with where you think it's going, and as a result, you stop listening as intently as you need to. Rehearsers, they stop listening because they're going to give a reply. The mind readers, they know where this is going. I've heard this before. And trust me, uh, working in conflict mediation across Georgia, I've heard a lot of the same stories over and over and over, but everyone's different. They may be same and similar in many ways, and the results are same and similar in many ways, but, but it's amazing what was the spark that caused it. What was downed in inside of someone's heart that caused it. Those are the different points, and so... Them. Uh, the identifiers, and again, that's the ones who try to put themselves into that situation and think about, you know, okay, how, how, how you know. And, and so what happens is sometimes they'll put themselves into the situation. So again, they're then processing themselves through their situation of how they would handle it so that you know how to respond and when it's time for you to tell them how they need to handle it. It's a really, so again, it's just a distraction. Um, the dreamers are the ones who kind of, uh, they just kind of float off. I mean, you know how it is. Like, you're listening intently and you're thinking, all right, this isn't, this isn't, you know, nobody got hurt, nobody got shot, nobody called the ambulance. I mean, come on, all right, you know, all this conflict, you know, it's almost like, okay, you're looking for the, you know, the big, the big details. The derailers are the ones who, again, what they'll do is they'll insert their own story into the process and in doing so, sidetrack the person trying to share their story. 
you know, because it makes the person sharing sometimes think, well, maybe mine's not really that important. I better listen to his. This is the guy who's supposed to help us. So different things. And the placators are just the ones who's just like, yes, oh, wow, oh, man, praise Jesus. Mm, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, sorry. Mm, uh, you know, it's you're giving the right sounds and tones and comments, but your heart's not really right. You know, and, and again, and this is not that we all have to be perfect listeners, but we do need to understand which of these might be our weakness, the place that we need to guard ourselves, so that if we know we feel ourselves kind of coming up on that weakness, in the midst of listening to somebody, we resist the temptation to jump in there with that one. Um, Getting to the heart. Idols always keep us um, you know, from hearing the truth because idols keep us from fearing God, from loving God, and from trusting God, uh, all of those things. Um, and, and again, that's where, again, when it comes to conflict, there's always an issue there. Uh, I think it's interesting when we think about the Scriptures where it talks about in Ephesians putting on the armor of God to protect us. When I think about, you know, uh, that we fight not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. You know, there's this conflict and struggle that's all around us in the world. I mean, it's everywhere. And it, and it surfaces in all kinds of ways. I mean, in all kinds of ways. And, and, and yet it's all a spiritual thing. It has to do when people are not rightly related with Christ. Remember what Paul says, that if we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and all the fruit, what, you know what happens after that? Against such there's no law. In other words, if we live in the fruit of the Spirit, we would not even need the law. And I, I believe he's speaking of moral, legal law of his day. Society would be completely different because you know what? Heaven's going to be that. It's completely different. No law, love and grace, you know, for all eternity. So there, there's this thing of idols distract us from what God really wants to do with us. Um, Paul Tip, I just add this, it talks about the slippery slope of idols. All of us have idols. Um, usually our idols are small and... Um, you know, we kind of keep them tucked away, and, and when life gets tough sometimes, we run over to our idol just to kind of get distracted long enough to not think about things in the world or life or family, whatever maybe. And then we come back, and we just think it's just a little something, but anything that distracts us from our relationship with God and others is an idol. And you know what that can be? It can be a preacher. It can be the church. It can be worship music. It can be anything. Anything that really pulls us away from more. Now, all those things should draw us to the Lord. But sometimes those things can be the very things that we go and hide in and draw us away from the Lord. Um, I mean, I've been a Christian, wow, 58, uh, 38 years. I've been in ministry over 30 years. Now, I'm not saying I'm immune to a big fall, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to see me on the 11 o'clock news where some Southern Baptist state missionary went nuts and did this. But I still, just like you, flesh and blood every day, get up, have to get in the Word, get on my knees and pray and seek the Lord, Asking for His Spirit to guide me. In other words, because there is temptations, there's things. But those temptations may not be these hideous things, but they're these little things. And if I don't deal with the little things, those little things become little idols. You know, it's like me. Uh, you know, when I, I was walking out this morning to get ready to come up here, and I thought, man, my motorcycle needs a bath. It needs, needs a good washing. You know, and I thought, oh man, if I get up there, and if I, you know, I'm thinking because I just bought it back from Sturgis, riding a thousand miles up there while we're riding around. And so I'm thinking, but but then I thought, no, and so it was funny. So I got in the truck. As soon as I got in the truck and started going up, the Lord put something on my heart and I started praying. You know. Well, you know what? I had plenty of time to get up here. So I was in the right place to hear something from the Lord and begin to pray over that and think and meditate and think about the Scriptures. How did I wash my bike? I would jump in that car. 
you know, I've been flying up here because I've been running just in the nick of time to get up here. But instead, I was in a healthy place. That's what an idol does. An idol will sometimes try to draw you away. At the same time, being on that motorcycle last week over a thousand miles, I shared the gospel a hundred times. So it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just where it is in your life draws away. And all that has to do with coming back to conflict. Uh, Matthew 7, uh, why do you look the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank in your own eye and then you'll see clearly remove the speck from your own eye. In other words, when it comes to being a conflict coach, basically it means that you have a heart for people who are hurting. And they're hurting because there's some kind of conflict in their life. And I tell people, and that's where being peacemakers we can step into there and bring a, a sense of peace into their life. And then hopefully help them resolve some of the conflict. They're really, um, like I say, there's three things. There's coaching, mediation, arbitration. Let's knock arbitration off the counter because most of you will never get into that. That has the legal side of it. Mediation, most of you may not do much mediation because mediation has to do with uh, listening sessions and going back and forth with groups and a lot more detailed things than most of you, and there needs to be more specialized training than just an hour would, would be in that role. But I've you know, got many hours of, of training, but then I've got hundreds of hours of experiential wisdom from doing that, all these things. Most of you are going to be in the role of what we call conflict coaching. That's where you, you, begin aware, you become aware of the conflict in the church, maybe between a couple of folks that you know, and you've got a relationship with them, and you can kind of come up and say, um, Hey, I heard that maybe you and so and so you got a little, got some issues or something. You know, uh, uh, you know, just want you know, that, you know, I'm going to be praying for you. And if there's anything I can do to help you with that, you know, I'd be glad to. And what I'd like to do is just give you a, a pamphlet that I picked up the other day at this conference about conflict. And it's called Peacemaking Principles. I would just encourage you to take this, read through it, and then just let the Lord speak to you. And then whatever He speaks to you, and just you know. Go forward with that. <coughs> in that situation. It's just something like that. That's, co- co- that's the first level stage of coaching. You're just engaging someone. Now, and that's difficult because I tell people, now, it's easy to do if you're just a member of the congregation. If you're the senior pastor and you come up and have that conversation with someone, oh my, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll freak out because now it's, so, so you, you've got to realize that you've got to know who you are in, in that church or, or business or whatever it is, the conflict is that you've become aware of and your role. Um, and so you may not be the first person that needs to kind of approach a couple. Because remember, Matthew 18 tells us that conflict is best handled privately between the two individuals who are in conflict. If they can't resolve it, then they go out of that, ask for someone else to come help mediate that. That's where the mediation part. So we tell people, this pamphlet that we've given you is a pamphlet that was put to made by peacemakers, Ken Sandy and his group years ago, and it just talks about the different things. And so really some of the things I told you is how to get yourself ready to get into a conversation uh, about conflict, some issue. Um, and I always tell people, whenever you take that first step, I always say things like, you know, hey, uh, and this happened just in our church uh, before we moved down to Savannah just a few weeks ago, some months ago. They, they didn't know me. They were new to the church. They didn't know that I worked for Georgia Baptist. But what happened was I came out of the bathroom and they were in a heated conversation. You know what I mean? And so there they were and they were in a heated conversation. And, and then they kind of saw me and they stopped. You know? And so with the next Sunday, it's like two Sundays later, 
I come in and so, but I grab, first thing is I put that, put in my Bible, so if I see these guys again, I just feel like I'm going to, so two weeks later, I'm coming, I said, hey, I don't know if you know me, I'm Marty Youngblood, we've been members since a couple of years, and so it, it looked like, man, you're kind of in a, in, a, in a little bit of a heated discussion the other week, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, no, 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 I, I don't need to know anything about it other than, you know what, um, I got a little brochure that has helped me when I got in conflict with someone or have an issue with somebody, can I give that to you? And just encourage you to read through it, pray through it. If you have any questions, give me a call. Like, yeah, okay. So he took it, and that was it, you know. And so, and about two weeks later, I'm in the church again. He said, "Hey, uh, that helped. That helped." He said, "And I was going to call you and tell you, but just I thought, you know, it was over and done. I just kind of wanted to move past." I said, "Hey, I wasn't looking for a callback. I was just looking to kind of help, you know." So what it is, two things, you gave him some information for him to begin to look at the scripture and the Holy Spirit to move in that situation and hopefully work that out before anyone else got involved with that. The other thing is that you now know to pray for that individual. You know there's conflict there. And, they, and, they, and there's something about accountability of someone who knows that there's some issues going on. So that's what I mean by conflict coaching is where the first stage is just that kind of introduction. Now let's say you give that to someone and he comes back, that guy silly called him back and said, hey, appreciate the brochure, but you know what? Uh, we got some pretty serious stuff going on. You know, could you meet with us and maybe help us work through this? Like, well, here's what I'd like to do. How about I give you another brochure and you get it to that guy or you call that guy and see if he's okay with me meeting him at the coffee shop or somewhere and giving him the brochure. In other words, I'd like to give him this brochure, let him look through it, let him read through it, let him pray through it and see what the Holy Spirit, what the Lord says to him. Because again, the whole goal is you want this thing to resolve itself before anyone gets involved. Matthew 18. Brother to brother, sister to sister. And then sometimes that will work it out because now both of them look at the scriptures. And if you look at the, at, the, at the brochure, if you open it up, it just gives a little bit of a, a description about what it talks about in peacemaking biblically. It talks about the four G's of peacemaking. Uh, you want to glorify God in peacemaking efforts. You want to get the log out of your own eye. Uh, you want to gently restore and you want to go and be reconciled and those kinds of things. And then if you open the pamphlet, it kind of breaks it down pretty simply. Uh, the first one talks about, number one, why conflict happens is because there's some desire inside of you that wasn't met. Or some desire inside of you that someone put down. You know, My wife and I, we were in seminary, and I started working for the seminary lawns care. That seminary, We took care of the seminary grounds. <laughs> and I got paid $6 an hour working in 104 degrees in Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> and then a buddy of mine, I, he said, hey, if you need some extra money, uh, you can work for me on Saturday. So I worked for him, made three times the amount working for him, cutting grass in, in residential lawns. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. I'm working for $6 an hour, and here I'm making $15 an hour or whatever. And then I thought, I can do this. So I went and bought my own lawnmowers, weed eater, and blower. And within a few years, I was in it. And I had business, big business. And so uh, long story short was my wife, Thank you, brother. My wife said that, um, no, she said, um, I want to plant some flowers. I said, you don't understand. Texas has this shell rock. Go down six inches and it's this shell of rock. It's hard, you know, the dirt. You've got to put fertilizer. You've got to put peat moss. you got all the, you know. What I, I stepped on her desire, what she wanted to do. Cause conflict. <laughs> so one day I came home and one of my guys, who's one of my foreman, was riding with me, Don. And so uh, we pulled up, and she man, had these plants and all this stuff. And I said, what are you doing? You know, I've been working out. It's hot, tired. 
and lost my mind is what I did. And so I said, what are you doing? She says, what? I told you. I said, I don't care. You don't, you know. And I was just, I mean, I really was not being kind. I went hillbilly again. And she had this thing called a pickaxe. It's got the little flat part on one, the point part on the other. She goes, listen, you're not going to limit me. You're not going to tell me what I can and cannot do. And that was all she said. I went, okay, yes ma'am. I went to look for Don, and he was gone. <laughs> My brother, he was gone. Next day, I said, Don, where'd you go? He said, well, I really thought she was going to kill you with that pickaxe. <laughs> and to be honest, I like her more than I like you, and I was going to have to testify on her behalf. So anyway, so. But, you know, it's funny. That conflict arose. I mean, I didn't want her not to have flowers. I just didn't want to see work that I've been doing all day long again when I got home. But she's like, I'm not asking you to do this. I don't want to, you know, it's just, again, and that's what happens. I had a desire, I wanted to rest like a mom. She had a desire, she wanted to see some flowers in a rocky, nothing soil, you know, seminary. So it's one of those things where, again, it just talks about those things, um, unmet desires. That leads to either an escape or it leads to attack. Uh, and it goes to the extreme, escape, escape just denying, all the way to suicide. It goes to the extreme of an assault to murder. And you think, we'd never murder anyone, but. Man, we can we can murder someone without murdering someone these mm -hmm. days. Social media is is the the worst thing in the world today of helping to manage and and, and, and overcome conflict to social media. It's horrible, horrible. Um, that. Then it moves up. I love this number four. The gospel is a, is the solution to all conflict. It solved our conflict. It solved your conflict, their conflict. And then it talks about number five. There's a personal peacemaking and there's assisted peacemaking. The personal is like I told you. You give somebody the pamphlet, hey, read it, brother. See if this helps you. Call me if you've got questions. And if it's not enough, and you go and give the pamphlet to the other individual, if that's a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a graceful way, and say, hey, read that. And if you have any questions, call me. And then if they still can't get together, you say, you know what? Uh, I, I, I'm not an expert in this, but, but, but this is somewhere where I've been studying the scriptures. You know? I, I'm interested in trying to help people through conflict, and so I'd love the opportunity to just maybe meet with you guys. And what you do there is you just take the brochure and walk through it. It's like that. You just walk through the brochure. Said, you know, it talks about you know how conflicts come out of the, you know desires of our heart. Do you guys think that maybe personal desires led you guys? You know, just just start a conversation, taking them through, and say, you know, some of us escape conflict. Some of us attack conflict. Where are you guys? And just You just walk them through. And then number four, you talk about the gospel. It's what resolves all the conflict. And then you take them. And when you help people see what can happen if conflict's unresolved, how extreme it can go, then it just helps them to get a balanced perspective. Again, the goal of a conflict coach or even a mediator is not necessarily to 100% of the time resolve the conflict. It's just to try to pull the emotions out of the conflict and the gracefully push people towards the scriptures concerning conflict. Because ultimately, God's going to be the one to settle out. Not our wisdom, not our training, not our experience, not our you know, cleverness in words. Um, and so really what I want to do today is just kind of give you guys an overview. I know I pushed it a little further. Uh, questions or thoughts or comments just about conflict in general? Uh, I know we got about um, seven, eight more minutes. Uh, and not to say I can certainly study later if you guys want to talk privately on any issues. Anything or anything that's helped you with conflict. A couple of books, if you're looking for, if you really want to kind of grow a little deeper in this, uh, Ken Sandy has a big book called Peacekeepers. It's this thick, big, big. It's a great book. 
Uh, if you're really, really serious, that would be the, the foundation start. But he has this one called Resolving Everyday Conflict, and he kind of addresses some of these issues in a healthier uh, way, uh, a little more clear and concise way and detailed way than I did. And I'll leave it up there called Resolving Everyday Conflict. The Path of Peacemakers, this is new, Brian Nobles. Brian basically took over from Ken Sandy in doing the Peacemakers. And Brian's a great guy. Brian actually did my training and my certification uh, about... Uh, uh, six years ago, I guess now. He was working on his, his, his stuff then. And so, but there's a lot of stuff out there, but the bottom line is, again, when it comes to conflict coaching, first of all, making sure you're at a healthy place in your life before you do that. The other thing is you have a sense of calling or gifts set, skills to do that, and that you're in a healthy place in the life of the church if it's within a, a church body. The other thing is always make sure you let your pastor know if you feel like you're going to you want to do some of this, just let's let us know. I mean, Pastor, I feel like the Lord wants you to use me to be a peacemaker in the church. Now, I'm not asking for a title or a salary. Uh, maybe you'll hire me. But I'm just saying, <laughs> what I'm, I'm asking is, hey, I'd like to be someone that if you get a couple, before they come to you, that maybe they could talk to me and my wife. Or, you know, because once they get to the pastor, it's serious. Even if it's not serious, it's serious now. It just is, you know. Or if it's the deacons or the elders, it's not that serious, but it's serious now because the deacons and the elders. So if you guys can do that down here in the day-to-day -day living of life and congregations and, and work and things like that, even at work, then because you know how it is. If it goes to the supervisor or someone else, it just gets more and more serious and it spreads out. So that's the whole goal of being a conflict coach is that you're trying to help people resolve the conflict. Matthew 18, brother to brother, uh, and you're just kind of sliding some scriptures and giving them some prayer, and if need be, letting them come back and giving some suggestions and comments, those things. Thoughts or comments on that? Yes. So how would you have it? How would you handle? And I, I've kind of got this thought in my, to myself, but just to hear it from you, um, if you have somebody that is within your church that has left previous churches with serious conflict mm -hmm. and they want to come and even though they're a part of your church now but they want to share that story yeah. and bring that conflict with them rather than leaving it at the door and as so though she's guarded as though this is just going to keep happening over and over no matter where she's at and um, so how do you stop the perpetual problem that and, and one thing and this is where it's tough that's never said compassion and mm -hmm. firm that's where he said uh, you know biblically this thing is not supposed to be handled in this church right that biblical issue that that's, that's to be handled in that church and really so if anything needs to be resolved you need to go resolve it there mm -hmm. and then it needs to really stay there right and, and you don't say it's not that i don't care and i'm not concerned and if she's got some real counseling needs the cause of that I mean conflict and some whatever happened there then I would point her and say instead of towards sharing that with people around the church is to go to a counselor and express that privately because tell her if you don't if you express anything unbiblically to another body that's called gossip right I mean and, but I understand you can't just say stop gossiping like you know stop it you know, like, uh, you know, I know that's what you want to do, but, but you got to help her understand that this is not just you not wanting to listen. It's not that you don't care, but it's like this this is not the biblical principle of which we follow and follow after. In other words, you've got to go back, um, you know, and, and settle that there for something right. to be settled. Otherwise, it needs the only, the only way I tell people stuff can be shared in context and not be gossip is if it's shared in a, in a private counseling situation, you know, outside 
you know, something like that. And so in therapy kinds of things, or biblical counseling, something like that, that's, I think that's permissible uh, because gossip takes two people. And so if you're sharing with a counselor who's confidential, then it can't go further. Right. And I understand right. that's there, you know, but it's a fine line even with that. Sometimes people probably are a counselor just in gossip. But, uh, uh, but yeah, you've got to kind of be firm with that one right away. Mm-hmm. Sooner the better mm-hmm. because it will spill over. And you know how it is, because of social media and just who we are, we're going to know somebody in that church or in that town or in that community. And it's going to, and that's what the devil, he just wants to spill it over in other churches. And, uh, but I would, I would, you know, gracefully but firmly say, that's really not the way to do that. Question, and this kind of relates, I'll use her example as a case in point. So the, the, the lady doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily think she's in conflict at her new church. Right. So, and I'll say this because I'm the guilty party here. That's a lot of defensiveness. I'm, yeah. I'm the first one to say I'm defensive. I've gone to a lot of counseling and yeah. <laughs> paid a lot of money to find that out and work on it. Um, so, how do you, or is it even appropriate yet, to approach the lady, right. the new church member, and say, right. because she's going to be defensive about that that is right. that, right. that we don't really want that story spreading here and that, that needs to be handled there. So how do you first even approach that if she doesn't think that it's an issue? And the Bible speaks to that. Remember the older women going to the younger women. And that's not necessarily even necessarily always age-wise, but it's spiritual maturity as well. Mm-hmm. So I would find that if there's someone who she does admire, someone she does trust, someone who has passports with mm-hmm. her, somebody who's mm-hmm. gathered data from her mm-hmm. and is a good friend but is a mature Christian friend, that's who I'd say, we, you know, this really needs to be addressed with her. And so somebody, you know, if you know somebody who really cares and they're with you and they, they kind of, that's the kind of person, you know, again, because coming to someone outside is like stepping to the pastor, to the deacons, to the elders. It goes up and ramps up the emotion and everything. So I would say find someone who she looks to and trusts, female to female, uh, and have them go and say, you know, this is really, you know, and so if you feel like you really got to keep talking about this, the best way to talk about this, really only a healthy, biblical way to talk about this would be to either go back and resolve there and or talk to a counselor, someone private, someone unrelated to the church, you know. And so, again, that's that's the best way to do it. Again, but I understand there's a lot of variables. And it can be difficult to do that. Well, can I ask another follow-up question? All right. Does it ever work to kind of um, overwhelm them with love so that their story changes, so that they you can fill them with joy, so that they can change that victim mentality into a new person? Well, and it's, it's the same way. Um, it, it goes back to what we think about uh, if any man being Christ, he's a new creation. Right. A new creature. Right. You have to first make sure that she's genuine in her faith experience, that she is really, truly a believer mm-hmm. and a believer. And then has she been discipled? Because, mm-hmm. again, you can shower people with, with, with care, love, and compassion, mm-hmm. but if they're not genuine in their faith, mm-hmm. That won't do it. What does it is what's in them, and so I would I would just you know, I'd say demonstrate those things, mm-hmm. but but somewhere there needs to be there needs to be a correction. Of right. Saying yeah. this is not because she may not even know right. this is not proper. Because most people who really really want to to, to fellowship with, with the church and fellowship with the Lord, they, they want to know what's right. Some just don't know, and this may have been the example that she had seen before. But she may just be still hurting. It may right. be unresolved, and that's where again. You cannot resolve conflict in this church that's at this church. Right. Mm-hmm. That ch- conflict has to go back to that church and be resolved there. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, you know, 
Um, now, counseling can help us resolve issues until we resolve other issues, and that's counseling's, I, I, I have no issues with those, but the, so, so that's, you know, again, kind of one of those things where I, I affirm you in showing the love and grace and compassion and trying, but, but don't let that be the avenue that she continues to get that, because what's going to happen, she's going to connect with somebody eventually who's got some issues, and they're going to now be together. Right. Jesus said, whether two or more I'm in the middle. Remember that? Yep. Do you know that works the other way? Satan? Mm-hmm. Oh. Two or more? Yeah. Well, I didn't realize that. That's a, that's a spiritual biblical principle. Mm-hmm. And I think we forget that Jesus is saying, listen, two or more will become, two or more will become. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's one of those principles where we have to understand that, that, that we're, we're fighting principalities and powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But, yes, ma'am. I also too think that it's about um, being relational. Yes. Okay, and so establishing a relationship. I think because I think you have a concern for her, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if you've established a relationship with her, um, and that takes time, mm-hmm. and that takes a level of patience. I mean, you've identified. I mean, just am I right or not? Well. well if we're talking about the same person, which I'm pretty sure we are, we can try and try and try, but she's being so defensive mm-hmm. over her church hurt, which I also understand, that she won't open herself up to a relationship with anyone. Right, and so it, but so it takes, it's, it's a level of patience, mm-hmm. and it takes time, you know, <coughs> just like he was sharing about his brother and, the, yeah. and that yeah. whole, and how it took all of that time. Um, and so I think I just think it's about being relational. And then prayer. Amen. You know, Amen. praying for her, coming together and continuously praying for her. And the Holy Spirit will, you know, uh, uh, do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we have to be, be be patient enough to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. Yeah. Would you would you say that you've got to know who you are, too? Because, I mean, I know you all want to, mm-hmm. but it may not be yeah. something time. you are. Yeah, it may not be. Well, let me need to go to the yeah. to the to the uh, elder. Let, let me do this. Let me go ahead. We're up on our time. Let me just close this in prayer, and then we continue to talk. Who would like to stay and talk with you, Father? Thank you for your love and grace and goodness. And now, Lord, I know this was uh, just a, a sampling of, of what you want to do in our lives to deepen us in this area, in our lives personally, uh, and in the life of, of the congregation or work that we do. So, Father, I pray that you'll take the things I've shared and Lord build on those uh, with your Word and Holy Spirit in a far greater way. And, and Lord, just may you rise up a, a army of peacemakers, yes. Lord, people who are seated throughout of our churches, Lord, who are people of peace, helping people find peace in Jesus through the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, thank you, guys. Thank you.